Impact, income, and influence. Do you want the most powerful, actionable takeaways from today's episode? Go to actionbullets.com to grab the quick, easy-to-read takeaways that will help you change your life and grow your business. Or you can click the Action Bullets link in the description below. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence. My name is Steve Warner, and I have an amazing show for you today. Normally, this show is all about marketing, growing your impact, growing your income. Today, we are talking to the number one female real estate entrepreneur. She is in currently remodeling an entire town. Most people do a house. I asked her how many doors she had. She said, well, my current project is we're doing an entire town. Dawn, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show today. I'm really excited. Dawn has been a ball of fire. Dawn. Sorry. Dawn. Dawn. I need to get the name correct. <laughs> Every It happens a lot. It happens a lot. I want everybody to know that I'm Dwan, so that Dwanderful makes sense. Tell us what that is. <laughs> Dwanderful is this um, entire new brand and concept that I built around my crazy pink hair, my crazy pink flamingos, and my podcast, the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. And uh, it's just a fun, great educational place to be a part of. Everyone's I, my family. I love everybody. I decided that if I'm never going to have fun and go crazy, it's got to be now. That is awesome. I love it. If you guys can't see her, if you're listening to this and not looking at the video, she has pink flamingos behind her. She's got bright pink hair. She is super fun and exciting, but it did not start <laughs> here for you. It no. started when you turned 30, you had an unsustainable Un, unplanned divorce, you're left with a child, you had done a bunch of drugs, bunch of drinking in your 20s. How did you become a real estate investor? How does that lead to being a real estate investor? Yeah, you know, I gotta tell you, Steve, and even though I tell the story a lot, every time I say it, I'm just like, I just, I don't even know how I got here, you know, because I was crazy. So in my 20s, it was the 80s, and I worked at a lot of nightclubs. I actually got fired from Denny's. So, you know, it's part of my fun story. Denny's fired me on third shift. So pretty bad, I think. <laughs> and I got married. I'm 30. I have a baby. She's eight months old. My dad and I have an unexpected split up. And he was kind of a jerk. And he took, like, the car and the money. And, and he left. And so now I was like, okay, I have a baby. And the job skills. I've been fired from all my jobs in my 20s. I did a lot of drugs and stupid stuff. And now I have to be a grown-up today. So I basically kind of just, I think, reflected on my 20s and realized I got fired from almost all of my jobs. And everyone said the same thing. You're insubordinate. You, you talk too much. You tell people how they can run their companies better. You tell owners of companies all the things they're doing wrong and what they could do better. So I had it in me, I think, <laughs> already to work for myself. So I thought, you know, if I just work for myself, nobody can fire me. And That's a pretty a good answer. I have a baby, and if I fail working for myself, I can go get a job. But I knew, like, I knew, like, deep down, I knew if I got a job, I'd probably stay in it until she was 18. And then I'd wake up one day and be 50 and still working for somebody else. And yeah, I'd that's no fun. So I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to like work for the man. I don't want that life for myself. But I was really terrified to take a step um, because I really <laughs> was fired from like 10 jobs, like a lot of jobs. <laughs> and never for not being a good worker. I was always there, always on time, even with you, on time. Good, good, good. But I just was real opinionated and I shared it with Everyone. all of the people. I, I mean, I think... <laughs> all the entrepreneurs listening to this show, I think we've all had that experience where we're like, we show up for the job, we're the best employee, we're telling them how to fix it, and we end up getting fired because yeah. people don't like to hear that stuff. Yeah, they don't. Every, you know, it's funny, every job I had, within just a short time, I was always moved to like the top, what a manager, director. But then I would like to start talking less and listen, you need to da, 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 da. And here's where you're going wrong, and here's what's happening. And they'd be like, seriously? Hi. Yep. The, I mean, <laughs> my, my start in entrepreneurship was getting fired for just that. Like, nope, you're not like, you can't tell me what to do. That's why they pay me the money. I don't care that your idea is better and you're fired. 
okay, well, I'm going to go start my own business and do great with it. I think any, it's funny because you talk (laughs) about like, you were fearful, right? You were scared. Like, how do I start this? I don't know if this is going to work, but when you get fired enough times and then you have something that pushes you over the edge, yeah, you take action. So you took action. Did, how did you buy your first property? And, you know, and just, I want to preface also, um, I, I waited till I was older to, I mean, I know kids now, like now in the 2020s, they all have their kids later, but I, you know, I'm 62. It's like back in the seventies and the eighties, people were like getting out of school and having kids at young. So I was really considered like everybody I knew had kids. <laughs> I was like the last lone ranger there. So my mind was Girl Scout mom, homeroom mom field trip mom, cookie mom. mom. And then I, I ended up, my husband took off. I was like, okay, well, if I have to work, I can't do those things. Then she has to go to daycare. And I waited till I was 30, which at that time was fairly old. Cause like literally every person I knew had children. And so I was like, oh my gosh, well, I don't know. I have to find something. So really, and, and I always like to tell people, and I do like to tell people my age because 30 years ago, you didn't find jobs on the internet. People didn't have cell phones. We didn't have pagers yet. We didn't even have pagers. So all the jobs were in the classified section of the newspaper. So you have to look in the paper. You have to call. You have to make interview. Like, it's a whole thing. It's really time consuming. And I kept going to these, uh, you know, like a bunch of people showing up for interviews. And it was so much multi-level marketing. And I thought, oh, my God, I just need to job or something. I got to find something. So I met some people that were actually real estate investors. And they said, Hey, you should try this. We buy houses, we fix them up and we sell them. So I thought this was a novel idea back then. It was very novel. And because I was so naive, what they said was we buy houses, we fix them up and sell them. But what I heard is I could decorate houses and make a living decorating houses. And I love to decorate and have excellent taste. So that's the job for me. I will be a decorator. And it was not the same thing. We having a decorating are not the same thing. ah, I got into my first deal. I knocked on doors. I met a woman and she was going through a similar situation. I was like, you know, and I was honest. I said, listen, I've never done this before. But I feel like I can help you. So you move out, I'll move in, <laughs> I'll fix it and decorate it. <laughs> and we'll split it and share the profit. And then after it was all decorated, custom blinds, like all the stuff you did in the, in the 80s and the 90s, it needed so much work, Steve, so much work. And I was like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do now. I have no idea what to do. This is all I know. <laughs> so I went to Home Depot and took classes. I love it. Every like every class they had. I learned how to lay tile. I used to build screens. I put kitchen cabinets together at night. I learned how to hang ceiling fans, pressure wash, paint roofs, electric, plumbing, all of it. I learned all of it. So how, <laughs> so how long did it take you to do that first house? Um, not as long as you would think, because I had like the paint and the carpet, like bam, bam, you know, ready to go about six months. It was like six months, but I was living in it. And yeah. so me and my daughter were living in it. And so I'm in it. She's with me. And I'm like, okay, this is fun. She's with me every day. She's toddling. I'm letting her draw on the walls and, you know, all the fun things is, you know, I'm going to fix it. But I took those classes and I just really worked like every minute she'd be sleeping, I'd be working because I, I needed the money and I was living on credit cards and I was getting more and more buried in debt by the nano minutes. So it took about maybe six months on the first one. And then, so now see, I didn't know how to sell houses. I'm not a real estate agent. I still don't have a license. So I called these people I'm like, hey, I, you know, I need to sell it. So what do I do now? And they literally like showed me where to get a sales contract, like, you know, sign here and here and here and here. And I had a person that walked in the door on the fourth day, 100% FHA qualified, all the money, all the everything you needed. And I thought, wow, these are so easy to sell. Look at that. Sold in four days, <laughs> which as we know is not normal how it works. But my first one, and it closed really quickly. I made 20,000 bucks. I was like, in oh the my 80s, gosh, which is I like, that's so like a hundred much money. Yeah, it was like by this time it's like 1990. My daughter was born 88. And I was like, I have twenty two thousand dollars in the bank. 
I'm rich. That's it. Woohoo. I'm going to do it again. And I moved, did another one, moved, did another one. And then by the third one, I moved again. And that was about when she was starting kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And I had made quite a bit of money at that point. So I was able to hire some crews and do a couple of houses at once. So I started off as a full <laughs> rehabber with no knowledge. <laughs> so I tell people, listen, if you want to be a rehabber, I'm happy to teach you everything I know. Just don't go buy a house and think you're going to decorate it because that's not how it works. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that you went, I think ah. it's awesome that you went and you learned how to do tile, cabinets, carpet, like all I, of the things. My, I didn't know what to do. You know how it came to me? Because I was always in Home Depot buying paints and, you know, faucets and little things like that. And the guys were like, you should take some of these classes. I'm like, what do you mean? So they started telling me about these classes they had. So when the house had the basic things, I was like, oh, my God, I need to do it needs floors. It needs so much work. So the, <laughs> the first class I took, and really when I think about it, I, I was out of my mind. The first class I took was how to lay tile. And I did the entire kitchen. I'm thinking, why would I not start looking back? Why would I not start with like a bathroom or like a closet? I just did the whole kitchen. <laughs> and it looked beautiful. I mean, I don't get the feeling that you do anything small. So I, I think know. So I was out of my mind back then. I just didn't know it yet. <laughs> so I did the whole kitchen and I thought, wow, this is like as it's going, it's like oh, this is a really big space, you know, and it's more and more. And then I did the bathrooms. I thought, okay, I should have started smaller, maybe, but it turned out great and it looked beautiful. I'm sort of OCD about everything being perfect. Yeah. So it looked really good. Hey. I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode. Are you enjoying the stories so far? Would you like to know how to use storytelling and story selling in your business? Check the show notes down below or go to storyselling.how to grab my free mini course on story selling and start implementing this in your business right now. All right, let's jump back to the episode. So, okay. You do some rehabs, you're getting going. You're now you can hire the crew. I think nowadays, I mean, I don't, I did real estate in college. I did very similar. I bought a condemned house. I lived in oh. part of it and fixed it up and uh-huh. did really well with it. Then I bought an apartment building and then things took off and then I sold everything. But the, I think nowadays people are like, how can I, I'm just going to hire crews to do stuff. You knew how to hire crews because you knew how to do the stuff and you knew how to check their work. I did. And you know, the thing is, you got to think back 30 years ago. Um, there were no RIA groups yet in South Florida. No RIA groups no internet, mm-hmm. and there's no women really in the business. So in the first RIA group, I saw an ad in the classifieds like, hey, they're going to start a RIA group. Real estate investors come to this hotel room in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm going to go. There's like 80 people there, and there's me and one other woman. It's all men. So I'm like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a rehabber. And they're like, where's your husband? I'm thinking, no, I'm a rehabber. I fix the houses up. So I had a really hard time sort of breaking into the boys club because they were like, oh, seriously, like you, you're, re-, I'm like, because back then I still have like the big blonde permed out kind of 80s hair, you know, and I've got the girls and the, you know, whole figure thing. And they're just like, you aren't like, aren't you afraid to break a nail? I was like, no, I've done like five houses, like all the work, all of it. That probably got their attention pretty quick because that's not something you would hear a lot. No, ever. no, I was even uh, written up in the paper once this RIA group started the Fort Lauderdale, the Sun Sentinel. So, hey, we hear you're rehabbing houses. And they took my picture and put me in the paper. This is woman, she's single, she's rehabbing houses. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the paper. So, We're fixing up houses. <laughs> it was crazy. So the question I want to ask you now then is like, how has, how have things changed from this is early nineties. Uh-huh. Now we have cell phones. Now we have the internet. Now we have RIA groups. Now we have stuff all over the place. How yes, has, I would love your personal take on how things have changed from then till now. Like, what do you need to be successful now? If somebody's starting right now, what do they need to be successful? You know, I think they still need the same things that I had back then. And and for me, you know, I, I find that when people get put into a, a corner, they have like the fight or flight mm-hmm. attitude. And so clearly I was all about fighting and 
you know, making it happen and raising my daughter instead of like, oh my God, I, you know, what if I fail, I'll quit. So I think you have to be willing to have like a little fight or flight and like, hey, you know, I'm going to fight and make this happen for myself. I think people really just need to have a lot of gumption and not worry about failing because even if you fail, you learned. So every failure is still a success. Yeah. You know? And um, with everything people have now, I always say like, listen, you have the internet, you have the courthouses online. I had to buy those stupid map books and figure out how to navigate my way through neighborhoods. I mean, I would get stuck in a neighborhood and not be able to figure out how to get out. (laughs) (laughs) You have GPS for the love of God. How can you not make this happen? So when people start telling me their excuses, I'm like, I didn't want to hear it. I had none of those things. So you have everything in front of you. But uh, but the other side of the coin is there's so many people on the internet saying that they're experts. And as you and I both know, sometimes people do one deal and write an entire program and claim all the success that they don't actually have. So it's easy to fall under the, the guidance, I guess, of someone who really does not have the real experience to help you become successful. So for new people, Newer, I feel like sometimes technology is a little bit of a hindrance because everyone looks amazing like they're professionals if they have a great website. Well, it's a, it comes, it, I think technology is a crutch as well. Like people like lean on it and they make excuses around it. Well, I'm going to go look for houses today or I'm going to go do prospecting. Well, I went through Craigslist and nobody was there. You need to go knock on doors. You need to go knock on doors. I, I still to this very day, well, I still work with students and my husband and I still, and my daughter and I, like next week, we're up in our little town. We're going to go knock on the, there's only 25 foreclosures. We're going to go knock on their doors. And even in this day and age, with all the things that are out there, people still really love it when you come to their house and offer to help them. Well, that's, uh, you know what yellow letters are, right? Oh, yeah. So I did yell, I did a yellow letter campaign probably 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I, I took the addresses that I could drive to and just went and knocked on their door to uh-huh. follow up to the letters. Uh-huh. And that led to deals. Yeah, um, it does. It's, it is. And, and people are people, afraid. And well, I'm people, like, are you afraid the homeowner's going to yell at you? Or what are you afraid of? And then well, what do they always say? Well, I don't I know. Say. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Hi. Read the program. Here's a script. <laughs> say this and knock on doors. Like, get out of your box, man. I still I today, it. and I know people are like, oh, you know, door knocking, and nobody does that. But the most successful students I have do it. Love it. Yeah, because they get results. The they thing, get- the, this all boils down to hard work. And yeah. that's what nobody wants to hear. It's not even hard work. Going and knocking on somebody's door, it's getting over that fear hump, which you, I mean, you put it very well. Like you, you had to, you weren't thinking about, I might fail. You were thinking about, I need to put food on the table. I need to find something that works for me that allows me to be with my daughter, raise her. And it's, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Doing rehab work is yeah. kind of fun, at least when you're starting. Well, and let me tell you something real quick. I tell everyone this. I said, listen, if you ever find yourself going through a nasty divorce, rehab a house because as you're ripping the cabinets off and you're i mean i one set of cabinets i took a sledgehammer and it was like splinters i decimated this kitchen and when i was done i was like huh i sure feel i feel good getting all that out of my system and i made twenty two thousand dollars <laughs> so instead of going to therapy rehab a house and destroy it you'll feel great so Tell me where, if somebody wants to get started, because I think a lot of people, I mean, my gateway drug was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read uh-huh. it on a plane trip coming back from Italy. A guy sitting next to me on the plane gave it to me. I read it. I got back. I got fired from my job. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go. I started a commercial cleaning business and I started a real, I, I started going and knocking on doors. Nice. Um, the, but what I want to hear from you is where should people start nowadays? Because everyone's read Rich Dad Poor Dad now. And they're like, yeah, I want to invest in real estate. But I don't know. Like, I don't want to be a landlord. Or I don't know where to start. Or the markets are all so hot right now. What do you say when somebody says that? Yeah, I know. I, you know, I tell uh, what really changed my uh, financial for me is going to this RIA group that opened. I learned about wholesaling. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hold the phone. I can get a house on a contract, which I'm really good at. So I'm not shy to talk to people. And I can sell it to a rehab or a landlord and just make money and not actually do that anymore. 
So my mind was just like, holy cow. Cause I mean, there was no one to follow then, you know? So in my first year of wholesaling, I wholesaled 75 houses. Boom. Boom. But I didn't know that that was a lot. I didn't have anything to compare it to because I didn't know anybody else wholesaling. So I'm going to this RIA group and they start doing this deal of the month. And so one month I go, well, listen, I just wholesaled and I kind of gave my numbers and everyone just got real quiet. <laughs> they're, they're wholesaling like three. <laughs> and they were like, how many did you do last year? I said 75. And the highest person in the room did 20. Yeah. All of a sudden they're like, oh my God, Dwan's a queen. And I was like, I didn't even, I was like, okay, I was a rock star. Didn't even know. Nothing to compare it to. So to answer your question, I went from making really good money to, I actually became a millionaire from wholesaling. That's what like changed my life. And so I tell people now, the thing that's nice about it is you don't have to have a real estate license. You really truly don't have to have credit. You don't have to have any money. You just sign a $10 deposit, sign your contract. And I feel like for today anyway, I feel like wholesaling and subject twos are a good um, a way for people to generate some quick cash wholesaling and doing some subject twos and offer some owner financing, get mm -hmm. you some monthly income without being a landlord or rehabbing, especially if you don't know how or don't have a lot of money. I mean, I weirdly back then, my Home Depot credit card was my highest credit card and a $10,000 Home Depot credit limit in 1988, which is like 50 grand today which I don't even know why I had that so high. I just, it was there. Um, so I, I would prefer to see a brand new person start off with something uh, where if they screw it up, it's not going to financially devastate them to where they can't try again. Well, they're, they're, knocking on doors costs nothing. Getting something for contract is 20 bucks. Like you and I know this and people hear that. I think I remember when I was talking to somebody about this, that, mm -hmm. They were like, what? Well, no one's going to do that. And most people won't. You're going to get 99 no's maybe to get a yes, but the yes pays you 25K. Is it worth hearing some no's? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and the no's aren't like, the no's aren't, they're not getting a gun and like threatening you. They're just like, if you, hey, would you be interested in selling your house? Is that something like, are you looking to get out of your house? Or are you having yeah. a hard time? If I get you, if I get you 10% over market, would you sell your house? Okay. No. Cool. Thanks, man. Here's a cup of coffee. Like <laughs> That's it. I tell people, I said, listen, you're, you're the word you need to learn is next. This one says no, just go. Okay. Next. I mean, because let's... when you statistically look at the numbers, you'll knock this many doors, you'll knock 20 doors. You'll talk to 10 people at some way by leaving a note, a card, whatever you leave. And out of those people, you might get a deal or an interest, something. And then if you talk to 20 more people and 20 more doors and you talk to five more people, pretty soon you have 20 people that you spoke to and you're going to get a deal. You're just going to get a deal. Well, let's, I just, I want to, I want to look at this. The word next is in my opinion, in the top three most powerful words in the entire language dictionary, because it appeals to everything in life. It, it applies to everything in life. Your marriage goes south, next. Your job goes south, next. A deal goes south. Like if you let that stop you from moving forward, you will never ever be successful in life. If you're having a hard time in a job, I, I was dating a girl a year ago and she hated her job. She would get up in the morning and cry. I'm an entrepreneur and you know what my answer was. Well, freaking quit. Like who quit. cares? And she's yeah. like, I'm like, I can't, I can't do that because what if, what if I don't get a good job? What if they don't pay me enough? There's no one hiring. I said, one, everyone's hiring Two, You're getting contacted by headhunters. Three, <laughs> you've got, I mean, she had money saved. I was like, so what? You don't work for three months. Find a job that you like doing. You're miserable every day. We broke up because she wouldn't, she was, she couldn't see the, the forest through the trees. Right. But I know next, we'll solve all of your problems next. because what is it all my books when I do all my live classes I say everyone say next next is your best new word next because you you it's like you said when you date you know dating is a numbers game you date oh. x amount of people and then you marry one and my husband's my third husband so I had a next it twice <laughs> to get to this one <laughs> now we had 19 years and you know he's like the guy 
that I wish I would have met in the beginning, but I had to get through the the next, 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 next until I well, got so them. I want to circle back to the thought of failure, right? It, a lot of people have themselves in the middle. If you can see my hands right now, on yes. the left-hand side is failure. On the right-hand side is success. And we're in the middle. And everyone sees it as, well, if I go towards failure, I'm never going to reach success. And it is the complete opposite. You are here on the left. Failure is in the middle and success is on the right. You will never get to success without having failures. And all never. they are are lessons that teach you how to be successful. Tyler Perry said this better than anyone else. Um, if you've read The Greatest Salesman in the World, it's also in there. It's said across the board, like your failures are your greatest keys to success. They lead yes, to- Yes, So I agree 100%. I, I, I tell everyone, I said, listen, even if you fall flat on your face, I'm 5'10". If I fall flat on my face, I'm still six feet further than I was a minute ago. There you know? And every walk, every journey, whether you're going to walk a mile, 10 miles, or 10,000 miles, whatever your journey is, every journey starts with taking the first step. If you don't take the first step, you're just stuck. And then, like, you're the girl. Like, she's stuck. And how long does somebody want to be stuck? Like, well, I'd rather try and fail than like work my whole life for somebody else's dream and somebody else's something when I have all my own dreams and goals. Well, she's stuck by the golden handcuffs, right? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, yes. no kids, no husband, no, like she doesn't have any financial worries <laughs> and she's just like, but if I don't make enough money, my life, I mean, dude, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Is it worth that? It's Absolutely not. And not. you know, something funny, Steve, when my husband and I split up, now I'm from Ohio and I have moved all by myself to Fort Lauderdale. So I moved when I was 19 after high school. We had that big blizzard of 78. That's all before your time, but if you Google it. Blizzard I was born in that blizzard. Biggest blizzard. Okay. Biggest blizzard ever. I wrecked my car that year. I fell in the snow like three times. I cracked my head. All, and I was like, when this epping stuff melts, I'm moving to Florida. And I did. And my family, you can't just move to Florida. And I was like, I'm Watch not me. living here anymore. I'm moving. So now it's a decade later, you know, I'm married, got a kid. So my dad, God bless him, still in Ohio, still in the same house. He's like, well, you know, honey, why don't you bring that baby and come back? You can live, live in your old bedroom, which still to this day has the green shag carpet from the 70s. Because you won't have to pay any bills and you can just come back and, you know, kind of regroup. So my mind is thinking, okay, tuck my tail and go back to my dad's and live in my old bedroom. I was thinking I'd rather swim into the ocean like pray a shark eats me. <laughs> like that's how <laughs> that's how how much going back to my dad's was like really honestly I'd just rather a shark just eat me and I'm just done and that's it and and I I can't even bear the thought of going back and I appreciate they're trying to help me but I also knew if I took that step backwards I would get stuck there. Right. And I was like, I already left and I'm not about to go back and be stuck. And I'm certainly not bringing a baby back to live under my daddy's roof. I'm a 30 year old woman. <laughs> so I had a lot of things keeping me, pushing me, I guess, keeping me from wanting to go back. I would rather just move forward and fail and get a job than move back home or get some miserable job waiting tables and nothing against you if you wait tables, God bless you for it but I didn't want to be doing that my whole adult life. And I didn't know how to do anything else. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I agree. I like, I think that drives all of us, right? Like entrepreneurs who are successful, we look at it and we say, well, these are the options and I would rather die than live that kind of life or be miserable or leave, yeah. live in mediocrity. So, exactly. And I'm, I love my parents, but you know, when I graduated high school in 77, Still, especially in a small town, I was in a, in, a, in the kind like on 10 acres. We had like cows, pigs, chickens, a garden. What town? West Melton, Ohio. West Melton, Ohio. Yay, go Bulldogs. So in that little town and the small town mind was when you get out of high school, go get a factory job because General Motors was huge in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Get a factory job and get married and have kids and work for the man and retire when you're 60. So that is what my parents had said to me all my life. And my first job out of high school, I actually got a factory job. 18 what factory? years old. It was called Piqua Engineering in Piqua, Ohio. 
Now I'm 18. I'm living on a farm. I'm very naive. I'm extremely naive. I don't even know what a factory is like on the inside. I've never been inside one. I know nothing other than they make good money. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get a factory job. So I get hired at a company that silk screens t-shirts. So, you know, you have to like drag the thing, the paint, and, like, and they, they hired me as a silk screener. So now every day I am covered head to toe. I'm in paint. I'm filthy dirty. It's June. I just graduated high school. I find out <laughs> there's no air conditioning. You have to stand all day. It's concrete floors. I'm dripping in sweat. I'm covered in paint. I'm filthy dirty. And I remember thinking like, why would my parents who claim to love me want me to do this? For 40 years. Did they work there? They were factory people. Yep. Not they, there. They didn't know any better. They were factory people. So they did better than their parents who were like farmers, farmers and very poor from Tennessee. They were like the working for the man people. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, I, I, I don't even know how this is going to work for me. So I'm only there about a month. And there's this manager starts walking through. He's got all these papers in his hand and they're pink. And all of a sudden, like the whole factory goes silent. So I'm like, to my neighbor, what's, what's happening? He's like, oh my God, those are pink slips. And I'm like, what does that mean? It means they're gonna lay people off. I'm like, what does that mean? It means they're gonna let a bunch of people, they're gonna lay them off from work and they're gonna send them home today. So now I'm just like, oh, Jesus, please, please, please let me get a pink slip because I can't <laughs> quit because I'm not raised like that. So I am literally praying, like praying. And they're getting down. It was just a few lots. I'm like, oh, please, 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 please. Let me get a pink slip. I can just go home and say, dad, look, they, get, they laid everybody off. Woohoo. <laughs> and, but you know, the thing is, I was really young. And I was really naive. And I had a woman that worked next to me who got one. She was about 40. And she was bawling. And she was crying. And she was so devastated. So I said to her, why on God's earth would you be unhappy about this? Look at this hole we're working in. You're free. Like, go. But she's like, but my kids, I'm a single mom. And I'm like, I don't understand. So I was, you know, probably not the best thing to say, but I was so happy I got one. <laughs> you did get one? Oh, my God, I did. I was like, they said, listen, you're you really the best jumping. screener that we have, but you're the newest person. So we had to let you go. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. I hugged the guy. I was like, oh my God, thank you. And I just ran out of that place. And I was like, and then we'll call people back. I said, listen, do not call me back. I'm not coming back. <laughs> so Ever. if you got a spot, give it to that girl right there that's crying because I'm not coming back. Dude, I am so happy right now. I was so happy. See, I don't think that's, that's like the happiest day of my life. So we have, <laughs> you would not know this about me. Um, I grew up in, well, I grew up in Philly, but then my parents split and my mom lived in Arcadia, Ohio, uh -huh. which is right next door. Um, I also, right. So I waited tables in high school for yep. some reason. I, I went to college. I dropped out of college. I got a factory job because I was like, oh, they make $35 an hour. I lasted right? three days. I was like, I was like, this is, I literally like I, one, I was out, I was doing two X the production of everybody else on my line because I'm, I'm like, how can I do this faster? And they're like, go slower. You're making us look bad. Exactly. And it's I'm only like, still screen slower. I'm like, what? I'm not even doing it fast. This is how I move. <laughs> so I, I was like, screw this. This is dumb. This is stupid. I left, but the. I, what I want to touch on is what do you think, whether it's real estate, running a business, like you've seen enough and you've, you've got enough experience, like looking back, what uh -huh. is the one thing that if somebody is like, I don't want a factory job, I don't want to work in a restaurant, I don't want to do that. What is the one mental step that they can take that will get them to be successful, whether it's real estate, whether it's a business, whatever it is, like if you're at one of your events and you're uh -huh. looking through the crowd at people, what is the one thing if somebody is hungry that you would tell them to do that they like a daily habit, a daily routine, what is something that like gets them in here that will cause them to be successful? I just wanted to take a short break from this episode and let you know about one of the biggest secrets I have found when it comes to converting webinars. If you have a webinar and it's not converting as well as you want, or if you're thinking about building a webinar and you want to grab this tip, it has helped numerous people 
one of my clients, we actually doubled their conversion rate just by implementing this one simple step. And you can grab it at deathtobadwebinars.com or by clicking in the show notes below. All right, let's jump back to the episode. Um, you know, I give people, maybe it's a weird piece of advice, but when someone new comes up to me, I tell them, I say, listen, let me, let me tell you something that's gonna happen when you decide you wanna be a real estate investor. Your family is going to say, oh, that's a bunch of get rich quick. It's not real. It's scammy. That, but these people are going to don't buy, don't buy anything. And I said, if you can let the voices out of your head of the people who mean well, but they make 15 bucks an hour <laughs> telling you not to do it. If you can get those voices out of your head and you can find a mentor or somebody like me or somebody like you, and you can have that voice in your head, encouraging you and telling you and, and helping you, you can do anything. You have to get the voices, the naysayers, the family that really does mean well for you. But deep, deep, deep down, you and I both know, your family and friends don't want you to become a multimillionaire when they're over here making 50 grand a year, because all of a sudden, you know, they're like, oh, do I change? I'm like, I'm exactly the same. I just have more money. <laughs> well, that's people we can, we're going to come back to money in just a second, but I want to, the story that you just told about your parents, they, they were giving you the best that they knew go work in a factory because that's they what were. they did. My parents, same way. My mom was a teacher. My dad worked for the phone company. They yeah. did not. When I set out on my own, like I told them I was going to buy real estate when I came back from Italy. Um, and they were like, you're a, you can't, my mom said, you can't be a landlord. You're in college. I went, I took rich dad, poor dad and huh? some spreadsheets to my college professor who I respected a lot. And he said his words verbatim were, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. The next year I owned, I bought 40 doors in my first year. Ooh, he, he, you. Had, he was like, he came up to me in the cafeteria at college and was like, can we, can we, like, can you come over and show me how you did that? Because it's, it shouldn't be possible. Like he didn't believe me. Like I, I was pretty quiet about it, but like word got around. I bought an apartment building that housed college kids and I lived there and they were like, how did that, what happened? And it's the same. I agree. Yeah. Like get, you cannot listen to the naysayers. You need a voice in your head and it needs to not be your own because your own voice is like, I can't do it. What if, what if, what if we, what if ourselves to death? Yep. And it cannot be the people around you. Cause they're going to say, I mean, I remember when I told my, I called my dad, I said, Hey, I met these people and I'm gonna, I'm going to fix up a house. Well, you can't do that. You're a single woman. Like you need a man. It's like, watch me. Um, okay. Well, I don't think so, but yeah, I'm going to try and I'll see what happens. Now, I didn't marry my husband now until my daughter was 13. So in 13 years, I started Rhea. I wrote a bestseller. I had like 20 rentals. I had a custom built house. I had a boat. I had a car. I had all this stuff by myself. So now I meet my husband. I say, now listen, dude, we need to talk. If you think I'm going to be like, if you're looking for a housewife to like cook and clean and like do your laundry, I am not your chick. If you want to have a live-in to do all those things, I'm totally down for that. Cause my husband's, you know, he's a super rock star real estate guy too, but he's kind of traditional. And I was like, I, I'm not that woman. So if that's what you think that you want. I'm telling you, you need to pass right now. Cause I'm How'd not that first date go. <laughs> well, uh, four days later, we made plans to get married. <laughs> there you so go. It went, it went did, really how well. Did, how did he react to you saying what you just said though? Well, he was a real estate investor and he had already done 800 deals. So I understand, like you and I know, when you meet a person that has an 800 deals, you know really what it took to do that. So you know that that person has confidence, they've got guts, they've got a risk factor, like you know those things. They can and deal with when someone, when someone says like, oh yeah, I'm on my fifth deal, I'm like, oh, you're so cute. You're on your fifth deal, that's so cute. But when you get 800, it's like, okay. But his first wife was just very traditional. They had like horses and she was, you know, the cooking, cleaning the, you know, and I just like, that's just not me. So <laughs> I just told them, I said, listen, I just, I am a full on businesswoman and I really love it. And I'm thriving and I'm doing well and I'm a millionaire and I'm raising my daughter and I'm like killing life right now. 
So I just need to make sure you fully understand that any of those domestic things, even grocery shopping, not on my list of things to do. If I have two hours free, I'm not going to grocery shop. I'm going to go look at a deal or ride my bike or go to the beach. I'm going to do something for me. And he loved it. He's like, I've never met a woman like you before. I said, well, there's probably not a lot of us, but being married to me is a whole nother thing. Like you really need to understand that we are partners and we are equals. And there is none of this man job, woman job stuff in my life. And that's just how it's got to be. So I want to, I want to, I'm going to, we're going to ask some relationship questions. And we had first two years, we butted heads quite a bit. Well, that's okay. So this is the thing like <laughs> equals. I, th- I, this is what I believe in. This is, this might be a, this is going to be a fun conversation. I think I believe in <laughs> equals 100%. I do too. I do believe that men do some things better and women definitely do some things better. Absolutely agree. So how did you maintain feminine and masculine energy? Because at the end of the day, that's what attracts us to each other, right? I want a feminine woman. That doesn't mean she needs to be at home cooking, cleaning, raising kids, but she needs to be feminine. And like, I love business. I can't see myself dating anyone that is not business minded, but at the same time, the women that I have dated that are business minded, they're so in their masculine energy that there's no attraction. So now I, and I am, I, 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 I so get that because I, I am that woman, like, you know, I'm a girl, I do my hair, I do my makeup, like I, you know, I try to dress kind of sexy and, you know, for me, but you know, just cause I feel good about how I am. And, um, and I'm, uh, probably a little bit overly dominant once in a while with other people that I feel like, let's just go right now. Let's go. So Bill and I butted heads a few times and over little thing, mostly because of me on things like he had been married for a long time. His wife took off with their personal trainer gone. And there he is. He's got the kids. He's a single dad. He's Disneyland dad. We go out to eat. We have candy. We don't have a bedtime. Disneyland dad, you know, compensating. Well, I'm really structured with my daughter. And I'm like, this is bedtime. This is it. That, 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 that. And here's how it goes. But I'm also not used to saying like, Hey, I'm going to go out. I'll be back later. I just walk out <laughs> and, and we didn't have cell phones really kind of barely getting cell phones back then. Yeah. And so I would just sometimes take off and he'd call me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, um, I went to the mall. So you didn't say anything. I was like, am I supposed to, do I, am, do I have to communication? Like, do I have to let you know? Like, okay, I'm going to go take a shower. Like, what do I have to communicate here? <laughs> you know? So I had a little bit of a hard time. Uh, spirit like you like to do what you want to do yeah yeah and and so sometimes he'd be like well you can't just like leave and not let anybody know where you're at and I'm like well I've been doing that for a decade why do I have to suddenly be accountable why do you need to know where I'm at so so it was more of just learning like and I get what he means like you know we're in the mountains a bear a mountain lion I go on a walk I mean I could be killed by something Somebody does need to know where you're at. <laughs> well, it's, I think the realization where that probably changed for you was, wasn't he was trying to control you at all. It's just- Trying to protect me. Yeah, he's trying to protect you. And he's like, it's just nice to know where people, you would want to know where your daughter is. You would want to know where, like it's a care thing, not a yes. control thing. Yes, which... and I, I am a woman that I, I like being a woman. I like being feminine. I like having my doors held. I like my chair being pulled out. I like my husband to order my food at a restaurant. I like being a woman and I like being treated like a woman. What I don't like is trying to work with another man in something and he thinks he's superior. Because it's like, right. listen, dude, I am as smart as you are. Mentally, a, you're not as no... smarter than I am. Now, physically, maybe so. But mentally, you're not any smarter than I. we're, we're the same. I might be smarter than you, in fact. And so, so that. That's, I think women have, you definitely have the capacity to deal with more. Like you guys can deal with 50 things going on. Guys are like, we have a box, right? We have three boxes in our head and we are working to solve one box at a time. Women can deal with 80 things at once, know everything that's going on. And we do like men to your point physically stronger we can usually fix things pretty well like we know how we innately know like kind of engineering stuff like we do you do and i love that about men but that's why we fix things 
I, I am that girl that, and I and so nothing against guys if you're one of these guys. I am that girl that I need a man that knows how to fix stuff. And that's probably because my dad knew how to fix things. Yeah. And when a guy's like, I don't even know, I don't own a screwdriver. I'm like, seriously? You don't own a screwdriver? Like you don't have tools? How, how was that possible? <laughs> So I, when I met Bill, I had more tools than he did. That's <laughs> the funny. first time he came to my house and saw my garage, he's like, oh my God, this is like my dream garage. I said, dude, I own every tool in the world. I've got everything. <laughs> well, you, you knew how to do this stuff. The, I want to point this out to anyone listening. That's like, that's not sexy or whatever. She owned all the tools. She knew how to do all the stuff. That still doesn't mean that you don't like to have somebody do it for you. I know how yeah. to cook, but I love a woman that can cook. Because it's nice to have somebody do something for you. It's not a yeah. sexist thing at all. I it's will fix all. shit all day because I like fixing things. Like uh -huh. it's fun to me to get out a drill and a hammer and a screwdriver and build some stuff and like. Exactly. But, but that's, that's not for me too. <laughs> well, that's if you know, like what's a love language, right? A love language, acts of service, doing things for other people yes. because they enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just because like. And if you don't like to cook, that doesn't mean that you have to cook for your, your guy. If you're a girl, like you find something that you can do that they appreciate. Like everyone yeah. loves to be appreciated. That's all. They do. And you know what, Steve, honestly, men, I, I read recently about that. The number one thing with men, like when men talk to other men is they feel underappreciated because so many women today just expect a man to do like these things. And I make sure every day I tell my husband every day, I appreciate him. I love him. I do things for him. Because his love language is acts of service, but so is mine. So when you have two people and he's always doing things for me, sometimes I forget to do things back. So I'm like, oh, look at all this great stuff. He's so great, all this love language. And then I have to remember, oh, wait, that's his too. So I have to consciously make myself aware, like, you know, when he's worked all day, I can massage his feet, and rub his hands and make him a meal and, you know, make him a drink. And like, he's just like, oh, honey, I just love you so much. That doesn't make me less of a woman or anything. I like to take care of him because I love him. Well, that's at the end of the day, that's I feel like a lot of the the sexism talk that is in vogue right now, people are missing that it's about appreciating the other person and making them feel cared and loved. And if somebody's like, well, I shouldn't have to cook to do that. Cool. Then find something else that you can do. Okay. Like it's not about you being in the kitchen or about you doing anything. It's just about caring about the other person and not and saying me, me, me. And women right now, and I love women, but women are too hell-bent on I'm an independent woman, a feminist. And I'm like, but why? What's wrong with letting a man run you a bath? Like, what's wrong with that? Well, I think what what's they miss- What's wrong with your husband rubbing your back? I think what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. I think it's what they amazing. miss is that you can be, you can be a, you are proof of this. You can be a powerful woman and be an equal to a man and uh -huh. just be like when you're equal they can still do stuff for you and you yes. can still do stuff for yes. them it's out of insecurity that they nope i can't you can't do anything for me i must do everything for myself and i am it's not about better it's about equal, equal. and equals still have different strengths they do and that is so true because bill and i have very different strengths there's a lot of things i'm better at than he and there's things he's better at and not even just physical things, just things like, for example, my husband has a math mind like I've never seen. I'm over here like uh, with a calculator. OK, two plus what, what was I doing? Like, this is me, you know, and Bill's just like, uh, OK, here's what I did. And I'm just like, I appreciate that so much. But then like talking like this and interviewing, he's not good at it. He's good talking to me, but he's one of those guy guys that like doesn't like to see a soft side, but I see it, you know, I, I know it's there. So we have, you know, just like different things and different ways of disciplining our kids and different ways of doing a lot of things. And I always felt like we take our strengths and put them together because ideally like your strength is that person's uh, weakness and your weakness is their strength, you know, and that's why two people become one. Yeah. Bring it together. You're not competing you're on the same team. That's and I'm on team wonderful. I'm team Bill. I were team. We're the team. Well, that's the relationships are all about becoming a team. Like I, the, anyone who says like they're going to get married and they're going to have two separate career paths. It's like it's supposed to be a team. It's it you're is. my partner. We are playing on the same team. So I have a I have one question 
that I'm, and then we, we're going to wrap this up, but <laughs> how do you, as a successful, this is something that has come up inside entrepreneurial circles behind closed doors. And I would love your take on it. Did you guys have a prenup? No, and we did, did not. You, how did you navigate that? Because that's something like, that's something in my head, anytime I'm dating somebody and it's, it has come up because it's like, how do you, I, I would love your take. Well, uh, we both had a lot. Yeah. We both had about the same. We were kind of on the same path. And we knew that going forward that we would sort of join forces and take what we had from here to like the stratosphere. And uh, so also, so I just want to preface this thing. I'm a Christian and so is Bill. And so when I married Bill, I had been on a not dating um it's, it's hard to explain, but I had to, gone to like a singles retreat and made a commitment to God not to date, not to have sex, not to I just like kind of just re-virginize and live by the Bible and pray for God to bring me a husband that would be like the husband and not let anything get in the way of it besides knowing that he was the guy. And he was on a similar path. And so when we met, I knew and he knew that we really would be the people that last all of the days. So we dated, we did not have sex, we did Bible studies, we did the whole thing the way you're supposed to do it out of the gate this time around. So I just knew, I guess, that my marriage would be blessed and I knew he knew that and we are both very fair and we both kind of came in with the same, both with money and both with success and there, hey, listen, things for whatever, and we have to part ways, we'll just be fair about whatever we need to be able to do. But we also are the mindset that divorce is not an option. Like in 20 years of marriage, we have never threatened to divorce each other. We've never left the house and stayed someplace else. We work it out and we pray about it and we keep God in the center of our marriage. And I know that doesn't apply to a whole lot of people. And they're just like, well, okay, what about a prenup? Um, so I oh. feel like if you're, if you're planning your divorce, I feel like it's always in the back of your head that there's an option. And, and I, and I get, I've been married twice before. So clearly I didn't get it right either the first two times, but this was the first time I approached marriage in the right way. I was looking for a partner, equal building what we have into we're here and we're going to go over to the moon and back into the universe. And we are the people that you can say, honestly, in a hundred years from now, we will be married still well, and happily good. married because we make the effort and the time and put it in. And if a man or a woman, because my friends were telling me and my family told me to get a prenup mm -hmm. and I was like, but I'm not getting, well, you've been married twice before. How do you know I'm not getting divorced? So I was like, because they did it different this time. I took a decade off. I mean, I didn't date. I took time off. Well, I was a little bit of a man hater in the beginning, to be honest, you know, because my divorce was pretty nasty, but I took the time to do it right. And I felt like I, that I was doing it right. So for me personally, if someone asked me to sign a prenup, I'd be so offended that they would think that I would need anything that they have to start over at any age. I would be so offended. I feel like it would be a deal breaker for me. Well, that's, I think that's a good answer. I think the other, I mean, kind of a long answer, but that's sort of how I got there. It is a great answer. I think the key, I mean, for me, I don't, I, divorce would not be an option. Like you say, till death do us part, like that's, that's the word, right? Like, and if you approach <laughs> it like that, there's a really interesting book I read that was on prearranged marriages. And I, I, I'm not trying to be any kind of weird political thing, but they said what came out of it was the people approached it as, I don't have a choice. This is who I'm marrying and it, we're going to make it work. Yes. And usually what happened is over five, like five to eight years, they fell into a deep, like respectful love for each other. They do. I've read that. Where it's about partnership and we are a team. How do we get it? How do we build the best team possible and when you approach it, it like that it, like marriage changes but i feel like unfortunately part of what's preached in today's society is you know it's all about being an individual and if you're not getting what you want out of it then you know you just quit and find something else and that yeah. that is a really 
bad way to approach it's a terrible life. way and you know and, and i mean i got married in my 20s the first time i was only married three months so it was like it was sort of a cocaine induced stupid let's get married you know yeah and my second husband i really thought you know but really looking back i i just really was at that point where i really wanted to have a baby and you know and, and this yeah. idea but by the time i met bill i was mature enough i really understood that it is a teamwork it is a partnership and there's not an option there's no way out. It is, to, but I do. I tease my husband. I say, now listen, you are my third husband. I am never getting divorced. And then I'll be that crazy woman. I'm like, she just gets divorced all the time. So should we not get along? I'm going to call in that death through his claws and dig a big hole with the backhoe out here on my 10 acres and put your dead body in it. Because if we part, we're going to go by death to us part, even if I had to take you out first. <laughs> then he's like, Hey, I'm like, hey, I know how to run a backhoe, dude. So do not mess with me. Divorce is not an option. I'm calling in the death clause if we can't get along. <laughs> and then I tell people that and they're like, seriously? And I'm like, come on. Mm, no, probably not. <laughs> All right. So to anybody listening that yeah, has enjoyed. I'm not going to kill my husband. Yeah, you are. I know you're not. I know you're not. <laughs> To anyone <laughs> listening that has enjoyed this conversation, this has been a far ranging conversation all around entrepreneurship, commitment, next. You have a lot of books, but the two that I want to highlight, huh? you have two books that are free on your website. What's your website? Uh, Dwanderful.com. So just D-W-A-N-D-E-R-F-U-L.com. Successonomics, uh -huh. the first book, which is probably, I would guess, a recap of a lot of the things we've talked about here. Uh -huh. I wrote that with Steve Forbes. I felt like that was the highlight. I said, oh my God, I'm in a book with Steve Forbes. Holy cow, this is it. And I it's free. Yes, it's free. Go get the book, guys. Like if you enjoyed this conversation, if you think that you can learn something, I guarantee that you can go get the book. It's free. Tell us a little bit about events and real estate training. If people are like, I want to do that. Where can they, <laughs> where can they learn some real estate shops from you? Uh, well, at my site, if they opt in, you know, they get the free books. Um, I do. I actually still do a live webinar every Monday. I call it motivational Monday. And I have my podcast, the most wonderful real estate podcast ever, but I am just very much, um, I have a heart for, helping people get, I guess, to be free. I think this just, it's to be free because, you know, money doesn't solve all of your problems. You know, I mean, if you have problems, you're, if you're a jerk, you're just going to be a rich jerk. I mean, it doesn't really solve your problems, but having money does not necessarily uh, make anything any worse. That's for sure. So I, I feel like for me, I just, I feel just so compelled to help people get out of that man working for the man being stuck in a job doing all the stuff like that so i just want to help people to be free so i do webinars we do uh live workshops of course you know they're a little bit on hold right now because of covid but i'm still really about working with people face to face and meeting people and helping them and if they want to just do a few deals a year or they want to pay for their kids education or or they're my age and they're like holy cow i can't retire what the hell or they're just like, you know what? I just want to work for myself. I just really want to help people just to be free. I mean, that is that is a great mission. I think freedom is the number one driver for most entrepreneurs. I know like we did, I had to like do my like my levels of like what drives me and freedom was definitely the number one. It's so far out. And I always tell people, listen, that's the old saying that the grass is green on the other side. So I'm telling you, it is greener on this side of the fence. I'm, I promise you it's greener. It may cost more to do the stuff and have someone mow it, but it's definitely greener from that broke single mom to over here. It is for sure greener on this side of the fence. So don't let people say, oh, the grass is greener on this side, because it is. It actually is. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dwan, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. You were an amazing guest. Thank you. I have to tell you, this was the most fun interview I think I've ever done. No one's ever talked to me about like Bill and women and men and equal. And this is so much, this is like by far my most favorite interview I've ever had. Thank you so much. Like so much. No problem. It's my pleasure. I love doing these and you never know. I, I think anyone out there that comes to an interview with like a preset, like it has to be this, you're, you're missing out. Like you shared so much stuff 
that is inspiring to people. And I think it's, it's really what makes people tick. I try to inspire. I've been here 62 years. I have a little more wisdom than I had back in the day. Doesn't mean I know everything. I still do dumb stuff, but I just do less dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all learning, right? Uh, if I had a town, I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking? So awesome. Well, to anyone listening, make sure you go check out. I'm I'm gonna mess up saying it. Don Donderful. I have to like roll my go. tongue. Um, go check out her website. Make sure you grab the book. Listen to this podcast a couple more times. Check out her podcast webinar. Like she's 80 places. Go check one of them out. I guarantee it will be fun. And until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon. Okay, we're good. On today's show, do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.